I see a lot of high performers. This isn't always the case. Clearly, there are no absolutes, but they can be very hard on themselves. And so when we don't show ourselves compassion and recognize like we are human, there's only so much we can do, we can get overwhelmed more easily. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey folks, it's RJ Singh here at Ultra Habits. Thank you for joining us on another week. Now, this week we are talking to Rebecca Zucker. Now, I came across Rebecca some time ago. She's a contributor to Forbes, Harvard Business Review, and like a lot of our guests, has a lot of great things to say. Now, she recently wrote an article that I knew would be super relevant for all you out there in business land or whatever your chosen arena may be. Uh, You know, she wrote an article talking about how do we face our fears and our anxieties at work without moving into a place of overwhelm. And, you know, this topic is super, super relevant, right? Like we all have belief systems. We all have things going on for us that um, throughout the day, we may question our abilities. We may question, you know, our capabilities. And with that comes a lot of negativity, right? Like we start to feel anxious. We start to feel a lot of fear. And it's very easy, particularly for those that are stretching themselves and starting to operate out of their comfort zones to move into a place of overwhelm. So what can we do? And that's what we talk about today on the show is how do we uncouple um, our feelings of anxiety and fear from what is really uh, real uncertainty. I mean, for a lot of you out there, there is no doubt that you are pushing the bounds within your context, within your organization, within your chosen field or the business that you're operating in. And you are operating in ambiguous territory. So how do we do that without being and moving into a full-blown panic attack. And you know, when we're operating in this space of anxiety, we're not easy to be around. You know, we uh, there is residual damage, there is shrapnel definitely that others will be impacted from, whether they're in our business or within the organization that we're serving, or even worse, when we come home. So it's really important for all of us, for anyone that is really striving to advance their careers, uh, part of parcel of that is you're going to have to be operating in more ambiguous territory. I mean, that's why you're getting paid the big bucks. You're getting paid to navigate uncertainty. And with that, we have to learn how to manage our own stuff. And that's what we're here to talk about with Rebecca on the show today. Um, Rebecca's super conversational, super interested in um, all things leadership. She is a partner at Next Step Partners. They're a collective of leadership strategists, entrepreneurial coaches, and lifelong learners, all supporting next 
level leadership. So folks, as always, do enjoy the show. Try to take out at least one piece of wisdom that resonates with you. As always, please rate this podcast. Let us know what you think. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co. That's .co. Visit the website. Always, always keen to hear from you guys. And we'll always answer your messages. As many of you know that have sent me messages, always keen to conversate. Anyways, folks, I'm out of here. Peace out. Rebecca, thanks for joining us this morning. Well, this morning here in Australia on Ultra Habits. How are you going? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so look, I've um, I've come across some of your articles in the Harvard Business Review from time to time, and there was a, a recent article that you had co-authored uh, about facing your fears and how we can better do that. And you know, I think it's a really important topic. I think you know, there's a lot of issues that I come across in the workplace uh, because of people's fears, how they see themselves, how they see others, and um, and how they then interact from that place. And so I really thought it'd be a great opportunity to get you on the show to talk about how people can move through this. Yeah? So what, you know, in your work, in your research, like what are some of the common fears that people have in the workplace? Like why do people get so tense at work? <laughs> well, there's a lot of pressure at work that translates into a lot of stress for people. Uh, and stress is how we think about the pressures we face every day. So that's an important distinction also between those two words that are often used very interchangeably. And the fears that people have, they really run the full gamut, but a lot of them boil down to some very primal, visceral fears, the fear of being marginalized, the fear of failure the fear of being rejected, things like that, that go back to the evolutionary period where, you know, if we were rejected or marked to me, if we were rejected or marginalized, this would mean a question of survival for us, right? We would be sort of ousted and left to fend for ourselves and may not survive as a result of that. And so these are really primal, visceral fears that are very core to us as human beings. And these things get triggered oftentimes unknowingly, irrationally at work when certain things come up and they can be different triggers for different people. You just made a really important um, distinction there. Uh, You said that it's, you made a comment about how people see their stress. What's the difference between that and I suppose, being stressed? Well, we are stressed. We feel stress when we look at the pressures around us in a particular way. You might have two people facing the exact same pressure and one person is very cool and calm and takes it in stride and another person might be really freaking out about it. (laughs) And so each person is going to be different in terms of what stresses them out what our relative capacities are, are going to be quite different. And we have different capacities. We have emotional, cognitive, physical capacities that can be taken up by other things. And Lord knows in the last two and a half years, we've had a lot of external things take up our capacity between the pandemic, 
political division, gun violence and racial injustices here in the U.S., war in the Ukraine. There's no shortage. You pick up the newspaper every day and there is something that drains us. And that can be really challenging uh, to manage. Interesting point. Like what you're saying is that stress is subjective and we're always going to be exposed to situations that stress us. But from if I'm hearing you correctly, the, the game is to to not try to manage the externals, but to 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 focus on how we um shift our internals, right? Like how we then perceive and manage. Is that right? Yes. So we can't always control the environment. We can't manage the environment all the time, but we can manage ourselves. And when we are under significant stress or feeling overwhelmed and in the thick of it, when we are in it, we can't examine it. So there's a great saying that you can't read the label from inside the jar. You've got to step out of it to be able to examine it and think about it. Because if you are in the thick of it, it has you. You don't have it. So you've lost that sense of agency or control. And we've all been there. We've all been super stressed out, freaking out about something in our lives that's happened or happening around us. And specifically at work, there's a lot of work. (laughs) You know, the amount of information since the introduction of the internet has quadrupled. And, and that's, I would think, an understatement. The amount of computing power since the 1960s has actually multiplied more than one trillion fold. But our basic human physiology, most notably our brains, has remained unchanged. So that is a lot of stuff coming at us. And we don't have the capacity for all of it. And that's why you know, our nervous systems are not built for the world that we're living in today. And we can very easily become overwhelmed. And so one of the things that I've done in my research is trying to unpack the inner drivers of overwhelm, recognizing the tidal wave of stuff coming at us is not going to change anytime soon. And to be clear, this is not to suggest that there aren't changes that are needed at a societal or organizational level in terms of expectations and workload, things like that, that is for for sure that change needs to happen there. And what can happen when there are significant and excessive workloads, tight deadlines, unrealistic expectations for managers, from managers, people lose a sense of agency or control. And by focusing on the other half of the equation, because there are two halves, overwhelm is inherently an inner experience. That's why I wanted to focus on the inner drivers. What makes one person more or less likely to become overwhelmed? That gives us back a sense of agency or control when we know what's happening within us. We're going to unpack that, particularly as someone that leads people and uh you know i i can push people to the edge but i try to meet that with a level of self-care and i'm always aware as to what that limit is for an individual and everyone has their different capacities with different arenas some some people you know are incredibly 
resilient in certain areas, but not in others. And as someone that leads, I'm always very much aware of that. And and I want to get into that, but I want to, I want to focus on the individual. So when a person is in the thick of it, in the fog, like how do you first notice you're stuck? And then like, what do you do? So I think an important thing to do and to practice, and it does take practice, is to notice that you are overwhelmed or starting to get overwhelmed. There is typically a physical sensation that comes with it. I know for me, I feel my blood pressure rise, my arms start and my shoulders start to get tense. So recognizing what those physical sensations feel like. So when they happen, you're aware of it. Noticing stopping yourself and naming it can be really powerful. Like I'm starting to get overwhelmed or I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now because by naming it, we are stepping out of that jar, so to speak. Okay. And we can look at it because when we don't notice it and we're operating very unconsciously, that overwhelm will drive some really unproductive behaviors, most likely that don't really serve us very well. So the very first thing is to notice it, stop ourselves in the moment and name what's going on. And would you say that takes a level of awareness? Like, do you advocate like mindfulness practices? Like how does someone develop that muscle in your view? Yes, that's a great question. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of mindfulness meditation It sounds hokey, but it's really about being present because when you are present, you can more notice what's going on. You're not ruminating about what's happened in the past. You're not worried about what's happening in the future. And that mindfulness aspect of using your senses, really. So touch, sight, hearing, all of the senses and re-familiarizing yourself with what it feels like when you're stressed. And there are different levels of stress. I'm a big fan of asking calibration questions. So, you know, with your team members, you could ask them on a scale of one to 10, how stressed are you feeling? Because a three or four is very different than an eight or nine. Or someone might say, I'm at a 12. (laughs) I am, you know, maxed out. There's no more room for stress. And recognizing what each of those levels feel like in your body. Yeah, it's interesting as a leader, like how do you as a leader manage or try to be there for all your people with their varying levels of capability with stress and overwhelm and such subjectivity? Like is is a a leader, like how do you negotiate? that like is there like my my history and and what i've tended to do and i think people think sometimes i avoid the issue is i try to bring it back to them and try to work with my people to help them strengthen themselves but i'm also mindful that i don't want them to think that i'm ignoring that there's potential overwhelm right but i'm yeah so what's your view on that as a leader what what can we do better Well, I think first is getting to know your team members as people, as human beings. We all have lives beyond work. So really creating that openness and safety for people to tell you what's going on in their world. Um, Somebody may have a sick parent or a sick child or 
maybe their spouse got laid off and they're dealing with certain things that are taking up capacity at the moment. So creating that space so that people can openly share those things without fear of judgment. And you can make accommodations as necessary for those situations. So it might be reshuffling work or reassigning work or extending deadlines. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote another article for Harvard Business Review that was called Managers Adjust Your Expectations Without Lowering the Bar. What I saw was there were some leaders who thought, this is a crisis, we need to double down. (laughs) And that was just insanity as far as I was concerned. But nonetheless, it was happening. And there were other leaders who just, you know, very much went into self-care mode or, you know, care of their people, I should say, and, and a compassionate mode, which was great to see. And there's something called compassion fatigue. So it was really also wearing on managers and leaders. So we do need to put our oxygen masks on first to make sure and we're in good shape to take care of others. Um, so really being able to calibrate what is going on in the world with that person in the work environment that may require you to adjust some expectations, recalibrate. It might be moving a deadline. It might be ruthlessly prioritizing and saying no, backburnering some projects. It might be adjusting the level of quality that's needed. You know what? This is good enough for now. We'll, we'll improve later. Um, so making those small adjustments can make a big difference for your people. I will say this on uh, this topic: the the people that I find have that have the greatest capacity for discretionary effort also melt down as well. Like you, I tend to see a correlation with people that will be able to redline and go extremely hard um, and very creative, um, you know, great work ethics, um, but also um, are incredibly sensitive in certain areas and, and require a lot of support. So I, it's just an interesting observation. So you talk about reflecting on origin story with fears. What does that actually mean? So typically these fears that we have, uh, these limiting beliefs and assumptions that we hold onto are typically formed very early in life and usually with good reason. But now as an adult in a different context, they typically no longer apply. And so they only serve to get in our own way. So we may see the world through a uh, contracted view and not see the full picture. And therefore, we're limiting ourselves. So to give an example, um, somebody may work, and I've definitely seen this before, um, somebody may have grown up feeling very vulnerable. Maybe they grew up without a lot of money or resources, or they perhaps were an immigrant. And this happened kind of mine. They said, I came to this country uh, when I was two years old, my parents had $100 in their pocket. You don't get more vulnerable than a child immigrant with no money, <laughs> right? So um, as a result, there is this fear that there's not going to be enough. So the person works harder and harder and harder, and they do not know how to shut it off. So that can create overwhelm. There are just sort of endless scenarios 
um, both in origin stories and how they manifest that can keep us in what we affectionately call in coaching the doom loop, (laughs) where the unproductive behaviors just cycle over and over again because they are fueled unconsciously by a very deep-rooted fear. Yeah, I I'm very much in sync with that with my people and and I try to be aware as to whether I'm leveraging what I would refer to as people's insecurity to get more versus how do I come from a place of more aspiration? I suppose a more positive perspective is a leader that's trying to leverage discretionary effort from my people from more of an, uh, a positive place. And it's something that I think about often. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. It's sort of an abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset. And the other thing that I think is important, and you touched on it uh, a little while ago, was that you know we can push ourselves really hard. And what allows us to really go full throttle when we need to are those rest periods. And there's actually been a fair bit of research on elite athletes. So Olympic athletes, professional athletes, and what allows them to perform at such peak levels. And interestingly, it's actually not all the training that they do. It's the rest periods that allow for that peak performance. And the same is true for us regular folks who are not elite athletes by any stretch. that we need those rest periods. Two thirds of Americans don't, uh, excuse me, two thirds of Americans work while on vacation and less than a quarter of us actually take our full amount of vacation allotted to us. And I was just on vacation in Mexico and I was at the pool and I saw a woman on her laptop and you know, that's not a great vacation. Yeah, look, our audience will relate to that. Uh, we've got a lot of endurance athletes and what we call the corporate athletes that follow the show. And we know in the endurance community that your adaptation happens during sleep and rest, your physical adaptation. And that's where the growth is actually occurring. Yes. And as a leader, it's really important to model those rest periods and setting and keeping boundaries. That can be a very challenging uh, thing for I see with a lot of my clients, they might be able to set a boundary, but keeping it is the hard part. And that's where some fears can come in also, whether it's the fear of missing out or the fear uh, people will think I'm not committed or people you know, will think I'm irresponsible, whatever that is. If I say no, if I set this boundary. That's a really interesting point, Rebecca. Um, you know, Every Friday I do like what I classify as deep work. I got to get out of the office for three, four hours and I've got to work and just look at a blank wall. And I know that other leaders have issues with that because they don't say that, but there's this kind of thing or I don't know, this, this perception out there that we need to be busy all the time. Like my calendar needs to be full for me to be important. Right. And I just uh, and what happens, though, is I can feel judgment from others and it takes. I have to be very stable in myself to hold myself to like, no, I actually know exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I need to oscillate my energy, my tempo, 
I need to get out of the office because people will continue to talk to me and I need to be able to think. And I know what environments I can think in. And it takes a level of self-confidence, I suppose, to get there, right? It does. They are prisons of our own making, typically. <laughs> and the one of the upsides of getting older is you start to care less about what <laughs> people <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yes. And that really is actually a sign of development that you are not, your behavior is not driven to please others. And people pleasing is actually one of the predictors that came up in my research uh, as being correlated with overwhelm. So the more people pleasing you are, the more overwhelmed you're likely to be. There are several others, but that is just one of them. So the number one predictor of overwhelm was imposter syndrome, followed by uh, lack of help seeking. So that was a negative correlation. The more likely you are to, or the better you are at asking for help, the less overwhelmed you're likely to feel. Um, anxiety is clearly a driver. Um, feeling like we don't have a lot of control, so having an ex excuse me external locus of control over outcomes. Team safety was also negatively correlated. The greater that is psychological safety we feel in our team where mistakes won't be held against us. Uh, we can ask or colleagues are, are willing to help. The greater the team's safety, the less overwhelmed people are likely to feel. I also looked at subjective safety, which is our sense of safety in the world. So the lens that we bring to it. So do we believe that the world is inherently a dangerous place or is it mostly a safe place? So based on where you are there, that will impact also your level of overwhelm. Um, self-compassion and self-confidence. Again, negative correlation there. The more self-compassion and self-confidence you have, the less likely you are to be overwhelmed. And I see a lot of high performers. This isn't always the case. Clearly, there are no absolutes, but they can be very hard on themselves. And so when we don't show ourselves compassion and recognize like we are human, there's only so much we can do, we can get overwhelmed more easily. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if someone has a scarcity mindset and scarcity, I mean, wholesale, right? Like the world is against me-ish kind of stance in life. Irrespective of the work environment, like are they still going to bring that lens? Like, even if the work environment is, is positive, like, is there a potential that this individual will still bring their stuff to work and, and, and potentially poison the well as well? Well, we always bring our stuff to work regardless. So, and that's why I also looked at subjective safety in that you could have a team that is psychologically safe. And yet because of all of the stuff that you carry with you, you don't trust people or feel safe, then that's going to be a problem. You're probably less likely to ask for help from other people. Uh, and you will take on more and be more prone to getting overwhelmed. As a leader, if I create such a thriving 
garden of psychological safety at work. Could that environment transform people? So one, people will always bring their stuff and there is confirmation bias. So if you feel like the world's against you, you're going to find every situation that's going to tell you the world's against you. And so here's, this is where, again, you need to be really conscious. And part of how we break out of old patterns and unlearn unproductive behaviors to relearn more productive behaviors is we start to debunk those limiting beliefs and assumptions. So if we believe nobody is there going to be there to help me, but yet you show that you are a very collaborative, helpful person and really genuinely offering and, and willing to help, that may over time change that person's view that not everyone is that way. Maybe the people were that way around them early in life, but now, again, as an adult in a different context, um, but they have to be looking for it. They have to be really registering it and taking in that confirmation. And it's going to take a lot of data points for them to start to change their view. So coaching, you know, in the work that I do, we are very actively, consciously trying to not only articulate and examine those limiting beliefs and assumptions, but debunk them and crafting very intentional, safe tests to disprove those assumptions. What's a safe test look like? So a safe test is, it's small, it is very low risk. So it's not going to harm you or anyone else. And it won't typically risk retruing the big assumption where the person will say, see, I told you so. (laughs) This is not a safe place. Um, And safe tests with my clients, I like to start out. They are typically either reflective in nature, doing some self-observation. So for example, when, if we're testing the assumption, if I say no, others will think I'm not committed. Well, let me think about the times when people have said no to me. How have I felt about them? I actually have a colleague who's really good at saying no, which has pissed me off at times because I need her to do things for me. But then I'm like, she's so good at this. (laughs) I really respect that. So I actually think more of her, not less of her. And other safe tests tend to be talking to other people. You can read about other people as well, but going out and talking to people who say, for example, are good at saying no and asking them questions like, how do you think about saying no? When and how to do that? Were you always good at that? And if not, how did you get better at it? And it's not just the technical learning of it, but how did your thinking change around it? How do you view saying no? And how did that impact your relationships with these people or their view of you or your view of them? And collecting this information, not just from one or two people, but from a number of people to get a variety of experiences. Because the thing here is because they are different people, they see the world differently. And so that's what we want to do is expand the way we are looking at things because we are looking at things with blinders on typically based on our upbringing, where we came from, and again, all the stuff we bring with us. So we want to expand that gradually. Do you think there's a, a with, with people that 
are able to manage overwhelm better. Would you say there's a correlation to having these individuals having a a stronger sense of their values? Well, I think that goes to self-confidence, knowing who they are, because somebody who's very clear on their values is going to be willing to stand their ground on things. And I think that's tied to confidence. Do you think that is easier to do with positional power, though? I think it helps. (laughs) But I will tell you, you know, senior management also gets overwhelmed. Um, They have a lot. While, yes, the work does go downhill. Uh, they have a lot of responsibility. So the stakes are higher for them. Look, there's a lot of knowledge and, and wisdom in this conversation. And I love subtle, subtle topics. How did you get into this work, Rebecca? But just shift, shift the conversation to you in, in, in terms of how you became interested in, in this. Well, in terms of what drew me to coaching, I have always been interested in the people side of business. And I do have a a business and finance background, have an MBA, was in investment banking. And all of those things were very interesting. And at the end of the day, what fulfilled me, so my values are around helping other people grow and succeed. And I've been coaching now for over 20 years. And as I have worked on my own learning and development, which is a big part of growing as a coach is working on your own development, as I'm sure you can imagine, was overcoming my own fears and challenges. And I have my own relationship to overwhelm. And so as I, you know, when I first wrote about that uh, in Harvard Business Review, the article, How to Deal with Feeling Constantly Overwhelmed, I took a look at my own sense of overwhelm. And I, my goal is really to take more preemptive strategies so that I don't get myself in that situation. And that's part of uh, what I shared in that article there. I think of it as both there are preemptive strategies that you can use to, like I said, prevent overwhelm from happening. And there are in the moment strategies that when you do find yourself getting overwhelmed that you can use. Um, and, And so I just started digging deeper and getting more curious about it. We always before we um, sign off with a with a with a guest, we always talk about habits, and I think we've gone into how one can develop in the moment habits to develop um, some space between themselves and overwhelm. But I guess where we'll close is some of the preemptive stuff. Like, what are some of the preemptive habits? I suppose people could develop, uh, or systems that people can develop to to preempt overwhelm. There are a number of them. One is to set and keep boundaries. I am a big fan of setting really clear expectations up front and also negotiating for the resources you need and not assume that they will be there. I had a client who accepted a really big role at a global firm. And because it was such a prestigious global firm, the assumption was the resources will be there. (laughs) That was not the case when they showed up to work. And they were very, very overwhelmed initially, very overwhelmed. And it was a matter of then stepping back and saying, okay, if you're expecting me to accomplish X, here are the resources I need to do that. And so it's a renegotiation. And you can negotiate for 
time, money, resources, quality. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's two ways to manage um, our internal states. That's creating uh, boundaries on the external and expectations, managing expectations on the external piece. But ultimately, <clears throat> we have to look to strengthen ourselves. And that's why I value this conversation so, so much. Rebecca, but before we, we go, we uh, want to know where can our audience find you, learn more about your work? Yes. So you can follow me on Twitter at rszucker.com. Excuse me, rszucker. <laughs> um, and my website, nextsteppartners.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there and hope you'll reach out. You can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. Thank you.